Welcome to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast, hosted by award-winning television director, documentary filmmaker, author, and speaker, Craig D. Forrest. Join Craig for the next few minutes as he interviews leaders, artists, and creatives about trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Matchstick Media International. Now, here's Craig. Welcome to the podcast. We have a great guest. We always have great guests. I say that all the time, but I mean it. And Dan Rupel, a veteran of television and has a strong ministry and spiritual side. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thanks, Craig. It's so good to be with you. I haven't seen you in a little while, and this no. is a joy. Yeah, we get to do it by internet now, which has become the, the fashion all over the world because of the Yeah, it's the, it's the norm, isn't it? Dan is a veteran. Uh, he and I both worked for the same network, but he he worked for CBS much, much longer than I did. He worked on the Price is Right game show. And then David Letterman, whenever uh, that talk show would come out, late night comedy talk show would come out from New York to LA. He was part of that. Talk about that a little bit. I mean, uh, I'll talk about your background a little bit more in a minute, Dan, but that must have been a blast. Talk about working on Price is Right, Letterman. I mean, you were right there at uh, CBS Television City. Yes, I was there for over 10 years. And uh, with Price is Right, that was my primary show. I did every episode for for 10 plus years. And that was the Bob Barker years. And as you know, Craig, you know, when you're working day in and day out, sometimes some very long hours in a studio, you really become family. And I, I should say you either become fram- family or you become enemies. And uh, that was one of the things I felt the Lord called me to when I first started. Um, The culture on the set wasn't really the best. Um, There was a couple hothead producers who were kind of making things a little bit difficult. And when I started, um, the Lord told me day one um, that I want you to have a touch point with every single person on the crew from the usher all the way up to Bob Barker. That's good. And um, and so what I did, in fact, they used to kind of laugh at me because every morning I'd go into the studio and I would go counterclockwise. I had 100 people on my crew and I'd go counterclockwise and I would have a touch point with every single person in the studio. And sometimes it was really, you know, casual, like, hey, how you doing? But other times it'd be, hey, how'd your son do in his Little League game last night? Or, hey, I know you had a doctor's visit. You OK? You know? just different kinds of engagement. And what happened is over uh, a a short time, they really developed a trust in me and they developed an understanding that I really cared about them and that I was really uh, genuine and authentic in my faith. And, um, you know, very quickly, Craig, you know, someone would find me over at craft services and say, you know, I just found out I got cancer and can you, could you pray or your church pray or something, you know? And so it really became a real family and the culture changed. The culture in the studio, just people just love to come to work. And that was one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to create value in every single person. And I would try to let them know, you may think, you know, you're just a grip or whatever. And you, you may think you have a menial task and you can phone it in, but you know, the more you excel, the more the whole work excels. And people started having a kind of a pride in work and they just really enjoyed it. And it was a great atmosphere on the set. And then about three years later, 
David Letterman signed away, you know, obviously everybody knows away from NBC and signed with CBS. And then his producers came out a few months later to LA and said, uh, Dave wants to do a number of shows um, in LA. And uh, so my the head of our department, he, you know, made sure all the dates were clear, the studios that they needed were clear, uh, they could get the crews they needed, et cetera. And then they, the new, the, uh, Letterman people said, and and we'd like Dan Rupel to be the supervising. And my boss said, how do you know Dan Rupel in New York? And they said, well, we just heard that his crews, it's it's like the they'll do whatever he asks. It's like the happiest culture atmosphere at CBS. And we want that kind of culture. So that was amazing. So I kind of got the the the, the cherry as far as assignment, you know, we'll probably talk later, but, you know, my, the beginning of my career was in comedy. So to be able to supervise, produce the David Letterman show for the next eight years, anytime he traveled, I would do all the shows in LA. I did some shows in San Francisco. And then I did a lot of interstitials, which for those that don't know what interstitial is, it's like a roll in, you know, cameo of some big actor or something doing something uh you know a little stunt or whatever or he would send his mom to the olympics or biff henderson the stage manager to the oscars and things like that and it was a joy man i just loved it and here we are uh 22 years later i think since i left and i'm still in touch with the price is right people and still in touch with the letterman people that's relational that's all relationships it is, Craig. And I they're just like family. I love those people. And they're always asking, you know, how's your wife doing? Hey, wow. I post pictures of my grandkids and they go, wow, I remember when you brought your kids in when they were little. And uh, anyway, so we just have really stayed in touch, which has just been very re- rewarding. Very, very cool. Uh, you know, you, you brought up uh, a topic that I, I wrote down in my notes is what is the uh, what is the culture of your team? You could you could take that in media. But you can really take that in business or even churches. What is the culture of your staff, of your team? Do you have the personal approach? And do you bring them value as their leader? Wow, there is a whole uh, presentation and a dialogue for, for another time. I, I wrote that down. That, that's wonderful. Talk about your start in, I know that you started in comedy uh, with mm-hmm. a famous, famous comedy group. Talk about that. Oh, this was this was unbelievably. Uh, it's a sovereign work of of God. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I walked into the drama room in high school, and I was introduced to this thing called comedy improv. And I just thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever heard in my life. I just took to it. It was like in my wheelhouse of of talents and. Uh, very shortly, the drama teacher formed a, a troupe of improv players, and we would do shows sometimes on the weekends in the drama room for parents, etc. And I got this idea. I said, "Why don't I take the best players and let's kind of form a group?" And and so we did. And we started playing local high school assemblies and uh, you know women's clubs and just little things in our community. And then I got real bold, Craig. I said, hey, why don't we drive up to Hollywood and play the clubs? I only lived like 20 minutes from Hollywood. And thank God one of our members had a, has driver's license. <laughs> and so we drove up there and uh, the comedy store had just opened. It was just like the first months of the comedy store. But we 
play the comedy store. We'd play the Troubadour. We'd play the Ice House, all these iconic clubs in, in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, I'd have to lie about my age because I was 15 and they served alcohol. I remember one time they busted me at the comedy store and, uh, and they said, well, I'll tell you what, um, here's what you're going to do. I want you to wait in the bushes and there's a little side door at the comedy store that goes directly onto the stage. So wait in the bushes. When we introduce you, you can go up on stage, do your gig, do your set, and then step back off into the bushes, but just don't go in the bar area. So um, I, I did that. And, uh, you know, so anyway, this progressed into our college years and we started, uh, we really were doing well. We were opening for Lily Tomlin uh, and other people. And then in 1975, Lauren Michaels was getting ready to launch Saturday Night Live. And he sent some producers out to LA and he said, look through all the comedy clubs and find the best comedy improv groups. And they narrowed it down to two groups, my group and Al Franken and Tom Davis. And if you know anything about the history of Saturday Night Live, they went with Al Franken and Tom Davis. And uh, so, you know, the, I, I didn't make it to Sar the first cast of Saturday Night Live. And I'm eternally grateful to the Lord because what happened is um, two years later, um, I was alone in my bedroom, Craig. and um, the what I realized later was the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, read your Bible. And I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but my parents made me go to, me and my brother go to VBS. So I pulled out a Bible they gave me in VBS when I was a kid. And the only thing I remembered about the Bible was the red stuff was Jesus. Right. So I thought, man, I'm going to go, I'm going to go right to the source. And so I, I, find the Sermon on the Mount. That's the most read in the Bible. And I only got past the first verse, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And I just collapsed on the floor and I started convulsing. And I just said, God, I've got a great life, but I'm bankrupt in my soul. I'm bankrupt in my spirit. This I'm, I'm all in. So I gave my life to Christ that night. I show up at rehearsal a couple days later we were a three-man group then, and I said, hey, I got to leave the group tonight. I, um, I just became a Christian. And then I turned to my one partner, Dave, and Dave goes, well, I was going to leave the group tonight. Since we last got together, I became a Christian. And then our third partner, Larry, said, last week, I rededicated my life to the Lord. Wow. And we, we said, and that's why I say... God sovereignty, sovereignly picked us out and said, I want you to launch Christian comedy. Now, all these years later, uh, we're, we are thought of as the pioneers of, of Christian comedy. Tell them what the name of the group that, that came out of that. Isaac Air Freight. Isaac Air Freight, we, uh, we toured for the next 15 years. We did eight albums. We sold about a half million records. Um, we were doing 200 flights a year. Um, and, and not, we, we, I, to, not, not to be, uh, arrogant, but we were, we were pretty good. And why? Because we had really honed our craft in the clubs, you know, in the clubs, Craig, it's kill or be killed. You know, they'll throw a, a beer bottle at you or whatever, if you're not funny. So we had to be good and we had to be really disciplined in our, our writing. And, um, uh, but another reason I think we were really popular 
uh, and successful is because we're about the only game in town. Um, the, you know, the explosion in stand-up comedy didn't happen for about another decade later with, you know, people like Tim Hawkins and Michael Jr. and Shonda Pierce and Anita Renfro and, you know, John Christ and all these different comedians who have come out in the last, uh, we'll say, 20 years. So anyway, that's how my, my career got started. And you were right on the cusp, cusp right after uh, the Jesus movement and contemporary Christian music and Jesus um, music in the early, early 70s. So you, you were right on the next wave in your comedy about then. Absolutely. And, and that was another key to our success is, you know, God did that thing where he called the hippies out. And then the, when the hippies became Christians, they wanted to adopt their own style of music. And that was the birth of the contemporary Christian music. But there wasn't anything happening in comedy. And then suddenly we come with that same sensibility of hippies and comedy clubs. And we did it in comedy for, for Christ, as Christians. And the, another thing that helped us is we could tour like a rock band. So, I mean, we, we had, you know, just a couple of prop trunks and these little flats that we would change behind and any place a, a rock band uh, could play, we could play. So at the early stages, the promoters would book us with, you know, uh, Daniel Amos or, you know, those early groups, Gentle Faith, Must See Faith, Love Song, all those groups. And then a little later, and the next wave came and like Amy Grant opened for us, you know, so that next wave was coming. And then pretty soon we were headlining everywhere we went. But uh, yeah, exactly. It was right on the heels of the Jesus movement. In the touring that you did for those 15 years, what percentage would you say of your audience were secular and what percentage were Christians? And what are the observations about how the response was for, from either one of those? That's a really good question, Craig. I would I would guesstimate um, probably uh, ten to twenty percent were non-Christians. It would all depend on the venue. Obviously, we're if we're playing a church, it's going to be a lot more. But we were also playing, you know, Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm. Uh, we were playing some um, uh, civic centers in the city uh, where a non-Christian would be much more comfortable in in attending. Uh, so the, the response from the Christian community was overwhelmingly positive. Um, there was a few naysayers. There was a few, um, not trying to label anybody, but, you know, someone who's maybe very realistic, I mean, legalistic and didn't, you know, think that this is really of the Lord, that we were possibly making fun of, of God and, uh, Jesus and we were being sacrilegious or whatever, um, but that was really the minority. It was overwhelmingly positive. And we also found the non-Christians um, really loved it. Um, we got a lot of great comments from people who were not of the faith. And it was because we had that comedy club sensibility. We weren't churchy. We weren't, uh, you know, uh, we, we were accessible as far as our material to the non-Christian, where they could and, go, I and, get that. And, That's a takeoff on that show. And you made them laugh. Yeah, you got to lead with that. You got to be good. You know, as you know, as a filmmaker, in every part of the arts, you, you lead. That's what gets you a seat at the table. That's what give, gets you respect, is your art, your craft has to be the best of the best. And once you do that, people will listen to you. 
that gives you that invitation to, to the table. Where, as a creative, where did your inspiration come from uh, in, in your group? What, would it be you'd always have a notepad and write things down or something funny would come up in a conversation and that became the start of a sketch or a routine? How did that work? Yeah, um, first of all, I'm a big proponent of always, and you can do it on your phone now uh, too, but always carry a little net notepad or something because I would always have, and this again, before you know the, the internet or smartphones, um, when I went to bed at night, I always had a pad next to our bed because you know maybe three in the morning, I'd wake up with an idea and I'd jot it down and I could write the sketch the next morning. But um, you never know where inspiration is going to come from. Often it'd be a sermon. Um, the way God wired me is I just kind of see life through a comedic lens. Um, it, you know, some people who are musicians see it one way. Another guy who's a, an engineer will see it more mechanically or whatever it might be. Or um, I see it, see life through a comedic lens. And I always see the absurdity. I see the irony of it. I see what it can be satired. I can see parodies. And um, so I'll hear, hear a sermon and I go, oh, I could, I could say this very th same thing. You know, he's talking very seriously, but I can say this very same thing through comedy. Ah, I got it. I know how to do it. One of them was um, one of our most famous sketches, Prodigal Joe. Um, I was at a Bible study. I was a baby Christian. That was on our second album. But um, I was at a Bible study and they talked about the prodigal son from Luke. And um, I'm driving home with my wife. And I tell my wife as we get in the car, I said, honey, don't say a word. I'm writing a sketch in my mind. So we're driving home. We get to the house. And I said, honey, get me a piece of paper and a glass of water. <laughs> and then she put it in the room, left me alone. And I wrote like 20 pages, our entire sketch of Prodigal Joe, which if you know the sketch, it is, it is the story of the prodigal son is told through Bonanza, where little wow. Joe leaves wow. the Ponderosa and, and Haas is the uh, disgruntled brother who stays at home and wants the fat, fatted calf. And uh, that was probably our most famous sketch. Well, no, there was a lot of them, but that was one of the more famous sketches, but it happened instantly. And what is on the record today is almost word for word what I wrote down that evening very that, quickly. That is brilliant. Can uh, can any of our audience find that on? Uh, yeah, you can Twitter, find it on YouTube. Media? Where, where would you find it? Uh, on YouTube, if you just put Isaac Air Freight, a lot of, uh, some. No, I didn't do it, but somebody, and I don't mind, uh, they put all of our sketches, um, just the audio on YouTube. Great talk with Dan Rupel. Join us next time on the next episode of Six Ways to Sunday podcast. We'll talk more with Dan. You've been listening to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast with Craig D. Forrest, brought to you by Matchstick Media International, dedicated to excellence in media through inspiration, vision, and education. To learn more, visit us on the web at matchstickmedia.org. That's matchstickmedia.org. Your generous donations, large or small, help defray costs for producing this creative podcast. Thanks for listening and subscribing.